filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster. This is a second episode this week, uh, which means in, in full disclosure, we're actually recording this the same night that we recorded the first episode, uh, Monday night of this week. So Ben and Jason and I are all drinking literally the same drinks that we had before. Uh, however, our guest is going to be drinking something new. His name is Eugene Rapinski. He writes for FMF State of Mind, uh, sister side of ours on SB Nation, covering Liga Emekis. And uh, he is here to talk about a couple of players on DC United's radar this year, so uh, or this winter. So, Eugene, thanks for coming back. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me again. Uh, you know how it goes here. What are you drinking? Uh, so, in honor of uh, talking uh, Mexican soccer and specifically about Brian Lozano, I am drinking mate. All right. I like it. Thematically appropriate. That's always appreciated here. Um, you mentioned one of the names. The other is, is Edison Flores. Uh, two South American players currently playing in Mexico that, that DC United is pursuing. It sounds like Edison Flores is very close to finalized. He is on his way to DC, potentially even in DC by the time people are listening to this for a physical Brian Lozano, a little, uh, a little iffier. Uh, and, and if you want to hear more about the details of that, at least as of Monday night, and you're listening to this now, go back in your podcast feed and, and listen to our episode from earlier this week. Eugene, we, we've seen sizzle reels, but you've been watching a lot more Liga Mekis than, than at least than I have. What can you tell us about Brian Lozano and Edison Flores as players? Sure. So let's start with uh, Edison Flores, since he seems to be the one that's most likely uh, going to be joining D.C., um, Flores, uh, he's been playing for Monarcas Morelia. Um, he's mostly a central player, but he likes to kind of drift out wide, usually to the left, although I have seen him drift out, uh, wide to the right a few times. Um, real sneaky, uh, with the ball, real good feet. Um, he's really been one of the players that have helped turn Monarcas around, um, they had kind of a first wave of, of players that came in with uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz, who's now with Seattle. Uh, and then after he left, they had uh, some other guys come in. Uh, Flores, uh, I think, was there with Ruiz Diaz, uh, but really has kind of uh, blossomed in the past season or two uh, there. So um, Brian Lozano, I've seen a lot more um, covering Santos uh, for FMF State of Mind. Uh, Lozano plays primarily out on the left wing, but he likes to kind of drift inwards. Um, uh, he can either pass um, or he can, you know, uh, score uh, goals. I think he had nine in the last season alone, which I think was a career high for him. Um, just a fun, fun player uh, to watch. So both the, uh presumably would be starters here in in dc between the two of them which one do you think 
slots into the middle at the 10 spot, which one is the better fit on the outside, assuming those are the two spots that, that DC United is looking for? Yeah, sure. I think uh, Lozano is more of a natural fit out left. And then I think um, I think uh, Flores would be the more central option. Um, but I could absolutely see those guys uh, during the runoff play switch up and, and kind of take over for one another just to kind of give uh, the opposing defenders fits. Yeah, that's something we actually saw a lot of this year with Lucho Acosta in that spot or, or whoever happened to be in the 10 spot. There was a lot of interchanging. It seems to be something that Ben Olsen has grown to like a lot uh, in his attacking players, just seeing them interchange and take up kind of different attacking positions and angles than, than the defense might be expecting. So do you think these two guys would interchange well, or or do you think that there would have to be a lot of work to develop that kind of understanding? It's always hard to say. Um, you never really know how two guys that haven't played together um, are, are going to gel. Um, I could see it going either very well or horribly wrong. Um, I, I, I'm tending to lean toward pretty well. I, I think once those two kind of start to understand what's expected of them, uh, that they would probably develop a, a good chemistry and understanding on you know when to cut in, when to cut out, and that kind of that kind of thing. Uh, Eugene, when, when we're talking about this, we're kind of in the middle of this, um, fairly sudden influx. It's not the, the these aren't the, 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 the first wave of Liga MX players coming to MLS, you know, Paul Ariola was early on, uh, one of those guys, Maxi Morales came from Club Leon. Um, but now it seems to be a lot more common. Um, and the moves are maybe higher profile moves, more expensive moves. Um, What's the take on this coming from the Mexican side of the equation? Because all of a sudden, a lot of attacking starting players from some of their better teams, maybe not Clue America, but um, some of their other teams are suddenly getting these really high end, um, you know, high seven figures, low eight figures bids. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it depends on who you talk to. I think you're always going to have people who see this as the players taking an easy payday. Um, you know, I, I don't see that at all. I think it's a, it's a sign that MLS is finally starting to catch up with where Liga Mekis is and, uh, you know, is getting that reputation um, as a kind of comparable league. It, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's not a big secret that Liga Mekis is still uh, kind of the premier uh, league, if you will, in North America, but I, I don't think MLS is too far off, and and they've been gaining uh, that for years. So I think it, it's a good sign uh, for for not only MLS fans but for Concacaf fans in general. You know, a rising tide lifts lifts all boats. Uh, as a follow up, do you do you find that? Because um, I, I know I've seen some MLS folks say that maybe these are. Um, the transfer fees we're seeing for guys like Flores, Lozano, um, Gustavo Bo up in New England. Um, some of the talk has been like, these are going to be good players in MLS, but also it might be MLS might be overpaying a little. Um, do you get the feeling uh, from folks that are paying attention, uh, more attention to Liga MX that that's accurate or is that more, no, this is a fair, a fair rate. Um, I, I think for me personally, I think it's 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 maybe overpaying a little, but I don't mm. think it's necessarily 
an unfair rate. Um, it's not like they're being really taken to the cleaners for guys like Bo or for Morales or um, Ariola or anybody like that. I think that they're, you know, Liga Mekis is certainly the clubs are, are looking to get as much as they can for their players. And I think MLS, uh, you know, is at a point where they almost have to overpay a little bit for, for some of the players, but it's not, you know, it's not like you're getting, uh, you know, a, a guy that barely cracks the 18 for, for $10 million or something like that, you know? Yeah. Brian Lozano was best 11 <laughs> for, for the Apertura. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and, and you're start, you're starting to see that in, in, in the quality of guys that have, that have come over. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about guys like Rui Diaz, guys like Bo, guys like Ariola, um, who were very good players in Liga Mekis starting uh, regularly for their clubs uh, and have come into MLS to do a lot of good things. There've been a few guys that have made trip the other way during their careers. American players that have gone down to Liga MKC either after time in in MLS or or just directly down there. Um I I'm curious what if you have any thoughts on what the future looks like, whether we see more of that interchange going both ways, uh and and obviously more money changing hands as a result. It's it's hard to say. Um I, I think if we're strictly speaking about the quality of play, I I don't think that there within the next five to ten years is going to be too too much of a difference between the level of either league um but i think you have to factor in um mexico and the mexican federation wanting to develop more mexican talent and not rely on foreign players i mean right now it seems to be a lot of them you know coming from argentina uruguay um you know south america but you are starting to see come from North America. And I think the Federation's trying to pump the brakes on that. I think they really want to help develop the next generation of, of Mexican players and have put in rules that, you know, limit the amount of, uh, of foreigners that you can have. And you have to have uh, Mexican born players under um, 18, make up a certain amount of minutes uh, per season. Um, so, Yes and no. Um, I think, again, if we're speaking strictly quality-wise, I don't think that that's going to be too much uh, of an issue. Um, but I think with the renewed focus on developing talent, Mexican talent in Mexico, uh, I think that might be the thing that kind of hampers um, more uh, players in the United States going south. Going back to... DC United's transfer targets. Um, I, it sounds like Brian Lozano is is very much an in demand player. There were reports that have more recently been disputed that LAFC uh, offered twelve million and were turned down. Uh, both Pablo Maurer and Steve Goff said this week that that wasn't the case because DC United has his rights and LAFC wouldn't be allowed to put in an offer, but. Who knows what they talked about behind the scenes. The Portland Timbers reportedly also interested at one point in Lozano. Um, do you have any inclination on how real that interest might have been and, and who else might be sniffing around for him? I, I really have no idea. Um, I, I would say this. Um, I, I think LAFC would be a good destination for Lozano. Um, it's a high-profile club. It's a club that seems to be flush with cash. 
uh, to spend on this kind of player. Um, you know, it's not like he was rumored to be going to Cincinnati or something like that. Um, no offense, any Cincinnati fans listening. Uh, I'm sure your city's wonderful. Uh, but, you know, he... It's not. He, <laughs> <laughs> Ben's from there. He knows. I, I've never been to Cincinnati. Uh, I've only driven through Ohio. Don't, and don't, I, don't I never, go. Yeah, I never want to do that again. That was, that was bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, whenever I hear LAFC and, and just about any player, um, I, I don't dismiss it out of hand um, just because of, of their reputation, not only in MLS, but internationally, and just the amount of money that they have at their disposal. Um, so I guess that's a really long-winded way of saying I really don't know, but it's quite possible. Fair enough. Any other questions from you guys? No, I think uh, uh, I think we covered it. All right, Eugene. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, could you tell our listeners where they can find you on on the old internet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Golazo del Gringo. Um, and as noted, I do write for FMF State of Mind. One of the great Twitter handles. I'm I'm going to be honest. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Just to tie it back to the episode earlier this week. Um, Eugene, thanks for coming on. Uh, everyone stick around. We'll be right back with Travis Clark to talk MLS Superdraft. Stick around. It's Filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster filibuster the black and red united podcast the mls super draft is this thursday january 9th and while it's a lot less super than it used to be and we'll get into that our guest tonight is as great as ever travis clark is the director of content for top and he comes back for his annual appearance on filibuster right now travis welcome back Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here. I meet my one once a year quota on the show. <laughs> I think it's our quota too. I don't know if we're allowed to keep podcasting if we don't have you on once a year. Yeah, and and I feel like every year it's a different recording uh, mechanism. I'm actually not watching. <laughs> your face behind the curtain, he's not wrong. We've been through many different recording platforms and setups over. Maybe the, the internet should be better and give us just a solid platform, but they don't. <laughs> I mean, the one we're on now is pretty okay. 
it's been working for now. We've said that about every other platform, yeah. Adam. It's always like, man, this is going well. Anyway, Travis, what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm not drinking anything right now because once I hang up the phone, I will go to bed. So uh, I'm just going to be transparent this year, not lie about what I'm drinking as I have in years past. Hey, new year. That's a good resolution. I won't lie. Yeah, I was thinking of making up something like a peppermint schnapps left over from Christmas <laughs> with some eggnog, but I don't know why that kept coming to me, but I, I decided to discard it and instead focus on the Super Draft, or as I like to call it, it's going to be the Super Conference Call. I think that should be the new branding for it. Do you think MLS <laughs> is no, up for that? The well, no as long longer as Super Draft. The, the words have to be mashed together, I think, is important. Uh, but conference, like the C in conference still has to be capitalized, uh, even <laughs> though it's all been made into one word. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, Hemingway wouldn't approve, but I've been going with, I've been going with an adverb, the decreasingly super draft. Adam, Adam, why would you ever care what Hemingway thinks? Because he was a very Uh, influential writer. A valued opinion haver on MLS drafts. (laughs) (laughs) And the superness thereof. Anyway, Travis, what are your thoughts on um, MLS kind of de-emphasizing the super draft at least as an event um in years past obviously it's been part of the the coaches convention and uh media and fans would would gather and drinks would be had and connections mm-hmm. would be made and this year as you said it's just a conference call yeah i think part of that is due to the timing of just the way the seasons are going to the season is going to be structured it starts early players report on what you know january 10th which is Technically, that when rounds three and four, which are perhaps even more meaningless than rounds one and two, um, there's no there's no big shock to it really. The the downside is I don't see a bunch of people that I know in person. the The upside is you're not making a mountain out of a molehill, which is what the super draft really. Uh, I said I, I never use super draft, and there I go. That's what the draft <laughs> has been for many years. Like you know, when you look at an MLS team you're not going to build your main core out of the draft, right? You're not going to go to whether it's the lack of talent in it or the all the, the best players in college are homegrown tied or they're 24 year old freshmen at Maryland. Like there's a, just a lack of that's not going to be your main core for a roster. So it's not, it's not a surprise. It's long overdue. Honestly, I feel like, I may have said this the last four times on the show, just get rid of it, make it some kind of college free agency. I know that means you have to spend money and actually scout players, but uh, there, you know, there are players to be had in the draft. There's not a lot of them. It's like any sort of natural progression of a player pool, but at the same time, you know, you look at what, what MLS is doing, what the teams are doing, like take DC's move for, the player whose name escapes me, who they're supposed to be signing, the Peruvian guy, right? Like mm-hmm. he's uh, you know, a player in a completely different galaxy than a four-year starter at Wake Forest, as good of a program as that is. So that step up is going to be so massive for that player that it's it just is a crapshoot for making that jump. Now, at the same time, if you are a team and an organization, whether it's identifying players to sign you at your usl team whether it's i mean and even that route is you're you're trying to emphasize that on local academy talent so when you look at the draft as it is it's basically as close to irrelevant as it can be even if 
like last year's rookie of the year, if you want to use that as a measuring stick, right? Andre Shinyashiki came to the draft. You you look at the Sounders, they won MLS Cup. Christian Roldan was a big piece to that. And then you also had Stefan Freingold, who's a goalkeeper that came via college soccer. But at the same time, that's just two players out of your 11. Uh, and there might be one or two other college players in there. You know, Jordan Morris is, is an example, obviously, but he is a homegrown player. But you're not going to build a roster that will compete in the playoffs and be a good team in making a big deal out of this draft. You know, I think, you know, picks one through 10, you can usually pick up something good. You know, if you hit something in the teens, you know, that that's possible. Last year's examples are second round pick Hassani Dotson uh, was picked by Minnesota United. He's actually progressed to the U.S. under 23 men's national team. So, you know, that's a little bit of an outlier. But my my curiosity about this year's draft is, will a team in the first round pass? Because I feel like if you're like 22 and you're just like, nah, I'm good. You know, yeah, uh, DC United had Akeem Ward and dropped him mid-season, so that's basically a pass. Yeah, I mean, I think Akeem Ward, I never watched him closely, and he must just not have been quite at the level. I thought he was decent, but uh, and considering DC United's outside back situation, I was a little bit surprised that he dropped him. But, you know, I'm not watching training sessions, and I don't know his contract and roster status, so... I'm sure there's a whole bunch of things going on. You know, they're still looking for outside backs, right? So, oh, for sure. Um, and so, like, like something there doesn't add up. Maybe it was a personality thing. Maybe it was he just wasn't that good. I mean, he wasn't great. Let's be honest. He'd probably still be on the team if he was. But uh, at the same time, flyers like that aren't aren't the worst thing in the world, right? So, it's like an extended tryout at this point for a lot of these seniors who are looking for the to keep the dream alive and. You know, the one, one of the benefits of the USL championship, or you could even look at it negatively because that's what I do, is you can, you know, see USL championship will thrive on underpaying these college players who can probably make more money quitting soccer and you know, depending on their school going to play, you know, going to do something off the field. So um, that's a cynical take. But then on the flip side, USL championship is there. A lot of players working with agents will have a deal lined up that's like contingent on an MLS contract being not all like, you know, a player drafted in maybe the second round will, who has a, a good advisor, a good agent will have a deal lined up that, you know, should they not get drafted or if they get drafted in the third or fourth round, they can just say, nah, I'm going to go take this guaranteed deal, even if it's one or two years. And, you know, that, that then takes you to the, why is it so hard for USL players to make it into MLS? But that, that's another I'm, I'm I'm kind of on a soapbox here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of I'll leave let's, it at that for now. <laughs> let's look at uh, this year's draft class. DC United doesn't have any picks during those first two rounds. Um, is there anybody that you think is really worth trading into the top of the draft to get? You know, I mean, that all depends on on the cost, right? It's I don't think that. You know, if DC United wants to trade up to the third overall pick, and they really like Dylan Nealis, the outside back from Georgetown, I don't necessarily see them doing something like that. You know, I can't. I you know, maybe some of the the international players you could take a look at. Maybe I'll just I'm just going to talk about this because he goes to James Madison. That's where I went. Manu Ferriol from 
JMU. He's Spanish. He could play as a six. Not that DC United needs a six, a third string six as an international. Um, right, because they're going to sign Luka Modric, so it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about that uh, already. <laughs> Maybe one of the two players from North Carolina, Jack Scan or Jeremy Kelly, they've been intriguing to me, uh, dating back to their club day. You know, it depends. Like, I think one of the things that always makes the draft so difficult is you don't really get a sense of what, you know, Kalano like just mentioned. You don't really know what DC United is doing. What is Dave Casper doing? You know, Stephen Goff tweeted about signing a couple of European players as depth pieces. You know, they're going to do something like that as opposed to going out and going out on a limb and bringing in an untested college player to uh, try and crack the roster. And, and, you know, I think any of these kind of upside guys at this point, at the point are probably going to be internationals. And that makes it even like I said, that makes the whole, it's almost like not worth departing with your insert MLS made up acronym of money here. Like it doesn't make it worthwhile if you're going to building that take a flyer on an international player or even even a lot of these college players. Like let's be honest, it's when you play your regular season twenty games in two months a year, it's a huge jump, as I kind of noted. So you know, it kind of just depends on how the draft plays out. If you know, maybe maybe there'll be a center back that they like, like a Michael Watungu from Michigan State who. His team struggled this season, and he looks—he looks like he could play in MLS in terms of how he carries himself and how big he is. And Koji and Kosi Burgess from Seattle is a guy I'm really curious to see how things work out for him. But you know, how much was Dave Casper scouting? What was DC United invested in in scouting? I don't necessarily think that they're probably putting a lot into this, especially given do they have not have a second round pick? I feel like they no, did. They, they do. The 40s they Number 42 overall. Oh, that's at the very back end of the, the yes. second round. I apologize. Uh, seven hours no, into very... the super draft. Well, like, and that's, that's the thing, too. It's like it's become so long that the, the 40, you know, like, the, I can remember when the, like, the 20th pick was in the first round. There was the second round. Yeah. And now we're going to 2016. <laughs> so, like, that decreases the chances that there's going to be anybody at 40. And, you know, they, they traded away that pick for the, the left back that, that was maybe I think you know if you really had if you had it's not the end of the world you don't have that pick like DC United is not going to make or miss the playoffs without that pick right mm-hmm. so it's nothing to it's water under the bridge it'd be maybe nice to have because then if you really like the player you know they traded up into the what the 11th or 12th pick one year for Julian Busher who didn't necessarily work out, but you know, that that's the sort of thing that could happen. You know, maybe the generation Adidas, there's a small GA class and I doubt anybody's there in the teams, but if there is, you, you go for that roster flexibility. But I, I think it depends on how much scouting has been put into it by the organization, by DC United. And if a guy likes is suddenly there at 15, 16, 17, then maybe it could be a different sort of experience. You know, the one thing that was interesting for me is, you know, Brandon Williamson is a player at Duke that I think has a decent amount of MLS upside, but they decided not to sign him after playing four years at Duke, which granted isn't the best in terms of development, but, you know, that's a free player they could have taken a flyer on. So I'd be curious. They maybe just don't think he's any good. I'd be curious to see 
if he's drafted and if he sticks in the league at all. So Travis, we all know the draft is losing significance. So what do you think about DC United's homegrown signings recently? What do you think about Moses Nyman? What do you think about their inability to sign Brian Kano, Kao? Uh, how how was DC United doing in in that uh, in that basically draft replacement area? Well, they took the the step last year by launching the USL championship team, Loudoun United, of course. So yeah. that is a good first step. Uh, you know, they signed, I believe, um, you know, they signed Antonio Bustamante, who's in some, you know, they gave him sort of that year-long trial that I kind of hinted at and decided that they could, to, I didn't think they declined his contract or whatever. And I'm sure Antonio right. wasn't crushed by that uh, as well. Uh, you know, Griffin Yao, Moses Nyman, those are the kinds of players that if you have an academy system, that's what you, know, you got to try to convince these players to play for the USL team and you know, sign the MLS contract, give them three, four, every five years and make a case for them why they should do this over picking. You know, for some of these kids, it's like passing up on UVA, Maryland, even if it's just a couple of years there, I, I still think it's a challenging thing for a lot of these players. If players don't want to go to school and they know that by 15 or 16, or maybe their just grades aren't there, I think it's another thing. Then, you know, there's a lot of work that, DC, you know, DC United is going in splashing a, a good amount of money uh, on, and, you know, 10, $15 million on, you know, I think Flores is, I forgot his name already. Sorry about that. But, <laughs> There's a lot. Edison Flores, you got it. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of names going out, going (laughs) around, which which is good. You know, it's nice to see them investing on the on-product field. But when you look at there, the DC United Academy, when it's stacked up against a lot of what other MLS teams are doing, you look at the region that this is in, and I feel like there's a lot being left on the table, right? So I know the area that we are in is tricky, but you know, what if you're DC United and you hire a few really good staff, you know, you staff up, you got to do that first and pay these people well, you know, pay them to run the academy and do a good job of building bridges in the area. And then maybe you can create a few satellite areas where, you know, kids that live in Northern Virginia don't have to get all the way to DC. And I mean, like the traffic part here is a big part of, I'm sure why, Bethesda's academy has been better than DC's academy, at least on field results. You could, and you could argue in terms of development as well, has been a, a little bit better, I would say, than DC United's because, you know, they can attract players that just don't want to, you know, for whatever reason, don't want to make the trip there, whether it's just not worth their time. I don't really even know. You know, you look at, you know, Gabe Siegel's a good example of that, right? His dad is a w- agent for Wasserman. WMG, and he, he had some stints with DC United. He went to preseason, but the kid played at Bethesda and then is in college at Stanford. So, um, like I think that kind of maybe that gives some insight to people and just sort of knowing what's going on, knowing what's valued by soccer. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of a, a point of one kid's thing, but I think the best way to sum it up is that DC's 
academy could be much, much, much better. Uh, you know, I watch they, you know, they, I watch them a little bit down in Florida. They're two, they're 2003s group. There's a lot of good players there that I'm curious to see how their futures will end up because they just, I mean, it's kind of hard to quantify and explain, but maybe they've been, maybe the USL part has been bad because they've just been throwing a lot of these O3s into the games last year and they get a sense of maybe their career is in a different place, a different place than it actually is at that point. So uh, some of those guys are committing to big, big schools too. They recently did Jacob Green, I believe committed to Maryland and Jason can back me up on that. If he's yep. remember that player's name. Yeah. Yeah. It and was um, Jeremy Gray at Virginia, yeah. you know, there's yeah, some other promising players, but the results, I, if you look at them are pretty like kind of astonishing when they, you know, they lose four five, six zero in these, DA Cup games, and you're just like, something's not right there. So, and obviously player development is, goes beyond results, but I'm really curious to see how that flushes out. And uh, I, uh, while you want to see the first team be advanced and strong, and I'm sure that's what the ownership is most emphasizing. And a lot of, you know, for me, it seems like the bottom line is all that matters to them. And maybe that's reading the situation wrong, but, you know, the academy could easily be one of the best the player pool here if you just kind of got creative and figured out ways to um, not just collaborate with the community, but also make it a little bit easier for the players. And that would require a lot more money put into it, I think, uh, and try to be a little more efficient with people's time. But maybe that's just me being naive and living in the clouds a little bit as well. Uh, Travis, going uh, maybe a little more big picture for college soccer's future, there's a big it's not the first time it's happened, but there's a big push um, being spearheaded by, or at least the public face of it is Sasha Sorovsky from Maryland um, in trying to get, you you mentioned the college calendar for, for people that don't follow the game. It really is two months of a full season of soccer. It's, it's preposterous. Um, mm. And I think it's exemplified maybe by the fact that the championship for college soccer involves a Friday semi semifinal and a Sunday final. Um, so right now there's a, a recurring push to try and get the NCAA to expand the calendar into the spring um, so that you're playing roughly the same number of games. It's just that it's one game a week. So players have time to go to school and also physically <laughs> endure uh, the the number of soccer games they have to play. Um, do you have a feel for how likely that is to work out or, or any sort of um, – I know the – the presentation is supposedly in the spring where NCAA would um, make a decision as to whether they want to pursue it or not. But uh, any insight you have on that? Cause I, I would really like to see it happen, but I'm also skeptical about co- the, the NCAA, not college soccer, but the NCAA itself understanding a soccer concern. Yes. I think basically your question is kind of how I feel about it. And I'm hoping to grab Sasha and have him on, our own podcast upcoming uh, that's the top four soccer show for listeners that may not listen to that or be unaware of it, but the just a quick plug for my myself and my website, but Sasha's like persistence, I think has helped keep it alive. And I've talked to a few coaches that are like, I, it's survived longer than I thought it would. And, you know, it's been passed by, I'm not hundred percent sure of all the procedurals, but it's been very long protracted as you'd imagine with a big, bureaucratic organization making a decision that quite frankly 
would take college soccer out of like the 1950s when it was first created. Like to give people an idea of how long I think it took them to change. At one point, the the semifinal, like the national championships, would be played in overtime. I think it was like early 80s, but like not recent. Mm-hmm. But like there was like a game at like, like seven overtimes or something, and you're just like, I'm sorry. It was almost like college soccer was created at a time when soccer was less understood. And so they have these weird rules and I get, I hey, understand if it's good enough for hockey factor. <laughs> True. Um, my very my similar thought, game, free subs. I'm super skeptical as well. However, when Sasha is driving something and there's a lot of support for it, I think the big thing for me, why I don't think it'll, I think we get shot down the maybe final hurdle is, you know, let's say it's passes and why, what's going to prevent like other sports from, uh, you know, let's uh, baseball, for example, like baseball teams can say, well, why don't we play an entire whatever school year? And granted, I uh, like the, the approach they've taken has been smart in terms of like, this creates more time for the student athlete, blah, blah, blah. And rather than, I mean, well, other than what it's also like a player safety thing too. That was the other piece to it. But yeah. um, I'm curious to see what happens to it this year. And, you know, hopefully it'll be good news. I don't, I don't see it necessarily as a huge, massive shift for like, you know, the best American players will still want to turn pro as soon as they can. Right. Like yeah. there's all these still weird rules in, in the NCAA about how often a player is allowed to train in the off season anyway. So, Obviously, that this would address it to an extent, but you know you're still better off in most cases trying to become a professional as soon as you can and getting that day to day grind as opposed to whatever college soccer. I mean, and that's not to totally diminish it as I've kind of done throughout my appearance here, but it's it's going to be really interesting, especially if it does pass and. I'm sure there might be a little back to that from other sports and schools and other assets. That's why it's hard to see it like actually crossing the finish line. Uh, I guess my other question, um, bringing it back to, um, you know, we are all kind of under the understanding that if DC makes a pick um, in the draft, it's going to be uh, players that are going to loud they're going to be playing for Ryan Martin. Um, they might, spend a week or so in preseason with DC before those teams, I assume will probably split. That's not me. I don't know that that's, that's going to happen. I just, what I expect to happen. Um, the two teams will split so they can have separate preseasons. Um, but, uh, if you had to pick, um, a sort of a, a sleeper player that might still be on the board at 42, that could actually, um, maybe potentially develop someone without, you know, that sort of a low floor, high ceiling kind of deal. Um, what, what are some names you would throw out? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I would stick to somebody on the back line, somebody maybe that DC United just sees as a, maybe this person can be like a depth move at center back or mm. left back or, you know, that would be my guess. I would, don't imagine that they would identify like an upside striker. You know, maybe somebody, I, I kind of like the striker in Michigan, Nabosha, Nabosha, Nash, I think he went by Nash, but Nebosha Popovich, he was a Big Ten. I don't know if you saw him play Jason, but he's mm. kind of intriguing to me. You know, kind of plays back to goal, can play players in. I don't know if he has the um, 
the motor, the athleticism for, but, you know, if you're, if you see someone like that, you know, he's, he's really good at bringing other players into the game as well. And somebody like, I know that they had Shinya Kadono who lasted all four or five months at Loudoun, but, uh, you know, somebody like that, uh, Pavlovich would be an interesting name. Maybe somebody like locally, I don't know. I can't probably go to Maryland, Virginia. Doesn't really have, you know, their upstart guys will be off the board higher. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech has a couple of players. Uh, Will Mejia is a defender, and they have a left back who's a name I can't remember off the top of my head. I watched his video today, and um, James Kasak, James Kasak, you know, something like that. I'm, I'm totally going to stab in the dark here just because Samson Which- Sergey played at um, where he plays Xavier and he's a tall center forward that you're just like, maybe you throw him in there and, or you confirm to center back, see what happens. So, mm. uh, yeah, a lot of it depends on what they decide to do. But I think it, if you actually want to like take a risk on somebody and you look at DC sort of needs, quote unquote, you'd want to like take a flyer on an outside back or a center back, right? Where you don't need a goalkeeper. Um, maybe, like I said, a Ford because you would bully Kamara, but I can't think of who the backup for DC is. Now. Is Quincy Ameriquois still on the roster? Or is he gone? No, they don't really have a backup for Kamara right now. So, you're, I mean, if you're going into the season with a backup as a 42nd overall pick in the draft, God bless. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it could be a scenario where, like, that 42nd pick is replacing Aliun Endor from Loudon, and maybe he's called up because he, I think he was, what, five goals in four games once his, uh, his visa cleared. It took a long time from them when they signed him to when they actually mm-hmm. could put him on the field. But once they did, um, he looked like a, you know, a player that maybe, I think he was also on the, um, DC's roster for their Bermuda friendly, the, extremely strange Bermuda friendly that happened in real life. Um, but yeah, he, he played in that game. So he might be someone that they're looking to move up. And so that would open the door for, um, you know, a, a college pick, a, a second round pick to maybe get a shot as a, one of Loudon's forwards. Maybe, I mean, Elvis Amo is there too, and he looked pretty good. So um, it's even, yeah, it's kind of a Don't tough forget thing Gordon where, Wild, Maryland legend. Yeah. Who, who might, May or apparently that's still up in the air as to whether he's um, going to be with DC or not. He he did really well in USL. It's just a matter of like, can he can he carry that on or is that like the ceiling for him? And I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it seems like even with Loudon's attack, like it, there might not be that many open spots for right. draft picks even there. So um, you, you, we might be talking about DC passing uh, earlier than. Uh, than I was thinking, which was like the third round they might pass. Yeah, I would imagine a lot of teams won't pick in the third or fourth round. Yeah, there are interesting players that you pull up their video and you watch it, and uh, you know. But even trying to like map out scenarios for ways to get players on the teams, like a lot of teams just they're off budget, which I think we're most with off budget roster. Like a lot of these spots are taken, and um, you know, again, if you're DC, like. What do you go with somebody that you've had in Loudon for like six months to a year? Um, you know, and I know that was it Christian Soto didn't really set the world on fire, but if they really like him, mm-hmm. hopefully he's still on Loudon. I didn't double check, but I um, mean, he's a guy that 
you know, tore up the Dale Allen Academy and is, from everything I understood, just didn't have the grades to get into college. And he showed like a couple of flashes, but you know, yes. confidence in a player like that versus player at X university that did okay. If we're talking forwards, I think, you know, if you want to roll the dice and fill a roster spot, you, you look at the back line and you have like five guys lined up and you say, all right, if this guy's at 42nd, we think he can come in here and maybe compete for a spot and be our second choice or third choice, whatever he can play aloud when he needs to. I don't know if that's a like mentality now, but that's the way I would do it if I was in a crunch and I didn't want to spend money. So. Do you think DC United has their eye on, uh, or is there anybody in the academy system right now that you think DC United would uh, potentially sign this year? I don't necessarily think so. I think that, um, you know, there, Kevin Paredes is one of the players who did really well. And um, I, I got to watch him play a little bit, but I think that there's a sense amongst academy players especially like the teenage ones that i'm just going to be curious to see how it plays out where they're i mean it's kind of hard to quantify or to explain necessarily because i think there's a hesitation again like kind of bubbling up after you know dc did well with some of the signing vanny nahar bill whatever they come through and now there's a little bit of like well is this really the right thing because you know and it's not just a dc united thing right like a lot of these players are either wanting to go to Europe, like Brian Kao, for example. Um, you know, those situations are, it's really hard to know. And then when I was watching, I was watching the older age group and nobody really was like, well, you know, shoot, that, that guy looks like, uh, I, I watched, I went to a Loudon game, the one at Alley Field against Louisville, and, you know, Jacob Green looked like a really good bike back and he was an 03 playing against the, the league champions, right? So, uh, he's somebody that I feel like could be enticed and could fit a need, but at the same time, make sure the organization and he's ticketed to play at Maryland where you can scout him for a couple of years. Why would you push that necessarily unless he like the, does the Europe, European song and dance and, you know, that's another piece to it. So no other names really jump out to me. Um, and I think that the, the older age group, the, a lot of them are set to graduate in 2021. So, It'll be curious to see which ones are nudged towards. I think that they'll probably just kind of let it play out with them on amateur deals at Loudon, and that'll be the kind of the core of the group out there. And maybe you know, maybe by the middle of the USL Championship season, you'll have a better idea of which guys could be close. All right, Travis. Thanks again for coming on the show this year. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online. Check out our website, TopCrossSoccer.com. I'm at Travis and Clark. If you want to uh, engage in any banter about how great the uh, super draft truly is. <laughs> Find us of course at black and support us financially at patreoncom slash filibuster. Follow us on Twitter at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red U for the website, send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com. Uh, subscribe, download, rate, review, whatever else, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told that that is very helpful. Uh, we really appreciate it when you just tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth. That's that's the ticket or something. 
Uh, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and thanking Travis one more time. And we'll talk talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Tell your enemies about the podcast.